0: I want to clarify most is that unfortunately um, you know we cannot meet together right now that is the recommendation of uh, the majority of the experts um, that we should be social distancing ourselves and so that is um, a challenge for us as a church because it means we cannot gather to worship together and it's also a challenge for us uh, with our ministries our programs, and with our school. And so we will keep you updated as uh, as the staff, the board of ministry, as the leadership um, makes decisions on how we move forward. We will be communicating those with you. Um, so please um, keep attuned uh, to any emails that come from us, and um, we will do our best to uh, keep you as fully informed as um as quickly as we can. Um, as you know from this week, uh, things changed very quickly. And um, so um, it is kind of like a new way and a new day. Um, so let us begin this worship service with a brief order for confession and forgiveness. I know that you cannot respond, and uh, so I will do all the parts. And I'll invite you to join me um, during the uh, participatory parts. I'll invite you to join me at home um, through your own thoughts. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the help of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that we may confess our sin, receive your forgiveness and grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Let us take a moment of silence for our own personal confession. Gracious God, have mercy on us. We confess that we've turned away from you and we've given ourselves into the power of sin. We are truly sorry and we repent. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things we have done and things we have failed to do. Turn us again to you and uphold us by your spirit so that we may live and serve you in newness of life through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. going to make one uh, request as we continue, if you could find the mute button on the left bottom corner of your screen and make sure that your your tablet, your phone, your computer is muted, um, that would be helpful. Um, I want to continue with Psalm 42. This is a psalm that expresses loneliness, doubts, and questions. Um, Let us us hear the psalm. As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually haunt me. Where is this God of yours, they say? My heart is breaking, as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mitzar. I hear the tumult, of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me but each day the lord pours out his unfailing love upon me and through each night i sing his songs praying to god who gives me life oh god my rock i cry why have you forgotten me why must i wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies there taunts Break my bones. They scoff, Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42. Let us pray. God, our refuge and our strength, you have bound us together in common life. In all our conflicts, Help us to confront one another without hatred or bitterness, to listen for your voice amid competing claims, and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray to you, Almighty God, in this time of national disaster and illness, that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our time of trouble. Do not let us fail in the face of these events. Uphold us with your love and give us the strength we need. Help us in our confusion and guide our actions. Heal the hurt. Console the bereaved and the afflicted and protect the innocent and the helpless. And deliver any who are still in peril. For the sake of your great mercy, in Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Our reading for today is from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 11, and I am going to continue with this theme of seeking God's kingdom. From Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching his disciples, do not judge others as you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? This morning I want to begin with a word about prophecy. In Ephesians chapter 4, there there are five primary spiritual gifts that paul talks about one is that some would be called to be apostles that some would be prophets that some would be evangelists that some would be shepherds or we translate that also as pastor and that some would be teachers so those are the five primary spiritual gifts apostle prophet evangelist teacher pastor and deep down inside of you exists one of those primary spiritual gifts. It may not be a surprise to many of you that my primary gift is teacher. And so when you think about that primary gift, that is a gift that God has given you, and it is intended to be used for the building up of the church, the body of Christ. And in doing so, then, we need all all of the gifts of the body. And it's not just the ordained that have these gifts. It is not just the staff that have these gifts. These gifts come as a gift to every believer, to every Christian. In your baptism, God showered you with the Holy Spirit. And one of the attributes of that spiritual gift that you received is the gift that he has given you. A few of our members whom I have known for some time, have the gift of prophecy. And how is the gift of prophecy different? Um, the gift of prophecy is a, is a word that is being given from God. They hear it from God. And the purpose of that gift and is to use that word to upbuild the church, to strengthen the church. It's a little bit different from The role of a pastor the pastor their primary spiritual gift is is to try to um, uphold the individual sheep so the pastor will be um, giving words of of challenge and encouragement and hope uh, to particular sheep whereas the prophet is speaking on behalf of the whole church the body of christ one of our members who has a gift of prophecy shared with me a word from the Lord that she had heard yesterday or the day before. And that word was this. It's a word from God. This disease is not God. This coronavirus is not God. It is not of God and it does not come from God. This disease that we are encountering as a nation, as a world, is not from God. God wanted this prophet to hear that word and to share that word with us, the body of Christ here at New Covenant. In Genesis chapter 2, we hear about this beautiful garden. And in this garden, it says that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruits. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing it into four branches. The first branch, called Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic, resins, and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third Branch called the Tigris flowed east of the land of Asher, and the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Garden of Eden was a beautiful garden, it was perfect. So, what happened? In chapter 3, verse 8, we discover when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I assume, as God always did. But it's different in this reading here. Because it says, So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. When the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? She said, The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So sin has entered into this beautiful creation, this perfect creation, and has broken God's creation. And so we live in a broken and sinful world. But this disease is not of God. This disease is of an evil nature. It is wickedness. It wreaks havoc. And God does none of that. As a matter of fact, we are reminded of God and his actions for us. In, uh, in, God, in John's gospel, John chapter 10, we hear the story that Jesus tells his disciples about who he is as the good shepherd. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and follows him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him, the stranger, because they don't know his voice. One of the things for us to remember during this time is what Jesus then says in verses 10 and 11. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose is, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Then he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I believe what God wants us to know, first and foremost, is that he is for you. He loves you. And he cares about you. And he has not willed any of this terrible disease. What he has done instead is that he has come to give life. And he has given it in the most ultimate way that anyone could give it. He gave his own life. And so he took the brokenness of the world. He took the sins of our lives and the sins of the world. And he took them upon himself. And he suffered and he died so that in the end, spiritually, we would not have to die eternally, but that we could live eternally with Christ. And so God didn't break anything. We did. And God is about the work of mending it and healing it, and bringing forth a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In our reading for today, Jesus then says, do not judge. Now, I'll admit that this is difficult for me at times. Um, When I see the hoarders with two grocery carts full of toilet paper, it's hard for me not to become a little bit judgmental. I confess that. I need to repent of that. People brawling with each other at Costco, that is something I can become very judgmental about. I mean, what have we come to? But then I'm reminded, what is the log in my eye? What do I need to? to repent of. When we talk about repent, I've said this before, so it's maybe a repetition for many of you, but what what repent really means is to turn away from an old way of thinking. My mind wants to go to that judgment, that place of judgment, and so when I repent, what I'm asking God is, God, please don't let my mind go to that place of judgment. Instead, take it to a different place. Take it to a place of love of hope, of joy. And it's not something that's unique to to any one of us. It's a universal issue, I believe. The scriptures highlight that for us. Do you remember when Peter was on the boat and Jesus came walking across the water? Peter wanted to walk across the water, so Jesus calls him to come, and he begins to walk across the water. And then as he's walking, he realizes, he takes his eyes off of Jesus for a moment, he realizes that he's on the water and that this is like a crazy thing. He's never seen anybody walk on water before. Now Jesus is doing it, now Jesus has called him to do it. He begins to sink. So why does Peter begin to sink? Into the waters. He sinks, the scriptures tell us, because of his unbelief. And so for many years we've interpreted that to think, well, he just didn't believe enough in Jesus. But I don't think that's what is being talked about here. I think what Jesus is saying is that he didn't believe enough in Peter, that Jesus uh, is saying that Peter didn't believe enough in himself that he lost confidence, he lost courage. And so this may be a time when you feel like you are losing a sense of trust and courage. And Jesus is calling you to come, come to him. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, talks about this illness or this deformity, we don't know exactly what it was, but there was a thorn in his flesh. And he has been asking God repeatedly, spiritually, remove this thorn from me. Take it away. Bring healing to my body, he is asking. And then this is the response that he hears from God. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Maybe you are struggling with fear right now. Jesus wants you to have confidence. Maybe you are struggling with unbelief in God during these times. But Jesus wants you to trust. To trust in him and to trust in his promises. So then Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, Ask anything of him, seek him, and knock. Now, when I've preached this in the past, I have to admit um, I have a tradition that I grew up with uh, that I heard in the context of this particular, um, this particular portion of, of, of Scripture. And that is that we were to, to ask God to come into our, our hearts, into our lives, to seek God and, and to knock on the door. As a matter of fact, my, my father um, in his eye clinic um, had a picture on the wall I guess this would only happen in northern Iowa. But the picture was a picture of Jesus <laughs> uh, knocking on a door. And it was a beautiful picture. Uh, it was in the waiting room of my dad's office. And, um, and I, I remember that picture so powerfully because it reminded me that, that we are called to ask and to seek and to knock. But I have to admit that most of the time that I was thinking about that, That particular theme of asking seeking and knocking I was looking at it in the context of Revelation chapter 3 in uh, in verse 20 Um, this is what Jesus says look I stand at the door and I knock if you hear my voice and open the door I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my Father on his throne. But as I looked at this text over and over again, especially over these last several weeks as we have focused on this Sermon on the Mount, what I began to realize was that Jesus wasn't talking to unbelievers. Jesus was talking to his disciples. If you go back to the very beginning of of Matthew, um, chapter 5, where this all begins, uh, the Sermon on the Mount begins, it says, One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So this whole Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is being addressed not to the crowds, but to his disciples. I believe that what Jesus is calling his disciples to do and calling all disciples to do is to pray. To pray for the coming of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, that image of knocking on the door, that is an old Jewish image and um, metaphor that Jesus would have been familiar with. Uh, it was an image, a metaphor for prayer. So Jesus is saying, pray for the kingdom. Pray for me to come. Pray for my kingdom to be here. Jesus wants us to pray for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. And he's calling us not just to invite Jesus into our hearts, but for us to go and follow Jesus out into the world. Not just to be receivers, but to be givers, to be senders. Pray for the kingdom and pray to be a part of God's kingdom. That is what he is teaching his disciples. And I believe that that is what he wants us to know as well. And the third and final thing that I wanted to highlight from our reading today is giving good gifts. This takes some trust. You have to trust in God to give, to give good gifts. You know, whereas repentance is turning away from your old way of thinking, believing is turning into a new way of acting. So whereas we have turned away from our old way of thinking, now we are also called to believe and to live into a new way acting so if I was judgmental in my repentance and I wanted to turn away from that judgmentalism then I need to ask God give me a sense of your love whenever I experience judgment so that I can turn away from that judgment and begin to live a life of love which is a life that you Jesus lived and that you want us to live so we give good gifts believing is that way of giving, turning our lives and acting in a new and different way. I grew up worshiping every Sunday in church with my parents and my brothers. And um, one of the things that was um, fairly impactful to me was um, my dad did something kind of unusual uh, when it came time for the offering, my dad would hand his offering. He, he and mom had their offering every Sunday. It's, this was the old days before we did it electronically. And he'd have the envelope filled out. It was an envelope of two sides that folded down the center. One was for the operations of the church, and one was for the mission of the church. And, uh, and I can remember, dad, each week would give it to one of us four boys. So once a month, I got to put the offering in the offering plate my dad i didn't realize at the time but one of the things that my dad was trying to teach me was to give good gifts i remember also thinking my goodness dad you're giving away a lot of money i could buy a new bicycle with this offering and so what jesus wants us to be thinking about is how can we give good gifts those of you who are parents you know that you would never give a bad gift to your children. And so, if we who are sinful won't give bad gifts to our children, but we would give good gifts, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you good gifts as you ask, as you seek, as you knock? And so, the the thing that I want to end with is for us to remember how good our Heavenly Father is to us. God loves you. God is present with us. Even though we cannot be present together, God is present with us. And he will hold us, the body of Christ, together as the church. That is some of the best gifts that we can receive the promises of forgiveness, the promise of salvation, eternal life, the promise of blessing, the promise of good gifts. And God wants you to have those because he is such a loving God. And so we give thanks today for the love of God, even in the midst of, of these challenges, we give thanks to God for His love, for His promises, for His gifts. Amen.